and welcome to episode 110 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording on March 21st, 2021. My name's Eric. I'm the host of the show based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. As a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, and I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Jeff, and I'm based in Central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, soon-to-be ham radio operator, and my home's handyman. I spent 32 years in emergency services and seen how much people rely on everyone else to be there for them, and I vowed to be, I vowed not to be that guy. All right. So if you want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper podcast on the air, you can buy some swag. We've got the uh, Canadian Prepper podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch. You can uh, pick those up at prepperpodcast.ca. All the proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at pepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some QSL content for you in this episode. Yes, the dad jokes continue, but there's a little bit of code to them tonight. Uh, first, we're going to start off with some preparedness-related news articles. Next, we'll let you know what we've done for our preparedness since the last episode. And then we're going to get into the main topic, ham radio expanded. This is number two, I believe, for ham that we've done. So we'll move into some news articles. So I've just got a couple here that I figured were appropriate considering the topic that we're going to be covering this evening. Uh, they're a little bit dated. They're about a year or so old now. They're just at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, probably about three or four months into it. Uh, but one of them is from the Winnipeg Free Press, and it just touches on uh, amateur radio and uh, looking to expand membership and operators in the, in the hobby and the fact that it was starting to expand quite significantly with the pandemic. And I have another one from CBC Radio. Uh, same kind of idea. Uh, that um, ham radio is starting to expand uh, because of the pandemic. There's always all kinds of interest in it uh, prior to, but with everybody being locked down and having really nowhere else to go, they uh, they started to see a, quite a big expansion of people who were interested in just having some time to actually sit down and do it. So uh, there has certainly been a large um, a large interest since the pandemic, and I think there's there's over 200 students in your class right now, right, Jeff? Uh, actually, almost 240. 240 that's it's crazy insane and they've run a couple of classes now uh, when i went through the rack class for my advanced license there was 50 of us in the class so there is a lot of people going through the training and i suspect once they they pay the 100 bucks or so over the training you're going to go through it and, and write the exam as well so i know there's been an influx of new operators in the area here as well so it's uh it's good yeah, to see. It's, yeah it's good to see it's obviously caused some issues because of the level of experience some people have read the book and they kind of get it and other people know nothing and it, it, it does cause the courses I think to be a bit longer than they should be and some questions that some people ask that you're, you're like did you read the book but <laughs> I mean anyways it uh, it's it's good we're, we're almost done and um, when I first started out and it was a lot of techie and math stuff and whatever I thought I was done but I think I'm getting the hang of it so you had the exact same reaction I did when I first got into it reading the book but uh, you, you got to know it kind of, sort of, but you don't at the same time. But you'll, you, everybody will see that as they start going through the certification process. So, yeah, yeah I just figured that was something good to, to put in news article-wise. And uh, let's move into what we've done lately for preps. So for myself, uh, started some spring cleanup. 
started swapping out the uh, the kits and the vehicles for uh, from the winter stuff to the the spring summer gear. So I will apologize now for the impending snow blizzard that's coming. It's my fault. I'll own it. Yeah, you can come over here and clean up my driveway then. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, I have been able to source some wood for uh, for next year already. The uh, neighbor beside me, the open field beside me, is starting to get a bunch of dead and fallen trees over. So I spoke to the owner, and he's like, yeah, sure, clean up whatever you want. Just don't hurt yourself and don't create a mess. I can't create a mess that isn't already there. But anyways, and I kind of started rearranging my, my woodshed, moving some leftover wood off to the one side so I can put the new stuff in the other side and make sure it's seasoned for, the, for next season. Perfect. All right. Well, with uh, with the lack of Ian here, we don't have 15 pages of what we've done lately for preps to go over. We're five minutes in and we've covered it. Well, look at that. <laughs> for those yeah, of you who didn't know, he's gonna he's gonna tell us how much how slacker we are. Oh yeah, he'll he'll cover it off next episode, I'm sure, with how much we could, else we could have done that we didn't. But that's all right. Yeah. So. Let's get into the main topic. I know that's what everybody is here for tonight. I know there's been a lot of people looking forward to this. We've had a lot of uh, interaction with uh, some listeners in regards to some questions, and it's always an incredibly popular topic. Uh, ham radio or amateur radio is always something that is either mainstream for preparedness or something that's always in the back of people's minds. It, it kind of depends on where your plans lay as far as what you're trying to get set up first but it's always there. Anytime you talk to anybody with a preparedness type of mindset, they're always thinking, well, ham radio, ham radio. But at the same time, there's a lot of confusion. So you could get talking to some people about, oh, you know, I want to get some communication set up in place. Uh, I want to get some ham radio equipment going. And next thing you know, the person you're talking to thinks you're talking about CB radio, which is uh, citizens band radio, or they think you're talking about family band radio. Um, in reality, there are some similarities as far as how things operate, but they are very different as well. Uh, another thing that uh, you have to keep in mind when you're when you're kind of researching this is you're going to find a lot of American information, and a lot of it crosses over to Canadian, but a lot of it doesn't. Our rules and regulations are completely different to the states, uh, so you need to be aware of the Radio Communications Act within Canada. That's what governs. Uh, licensing that governs what you can and can't do with the the equipment that you have and it also governs what you can and can't possess so uh, it's it's a it's a mind-numbing piece of legislation to read just like pretty much all legislation but if you are looking to kind of get into this it's probably something worthwhile to kind of breeze over and be aware of Uh, but let's dive in quickly to citizens band just to kind of cover off what that's all about um, it operates on a small area. It operates between 26 and 27 uh, megahertz. It's been around since the 70s. So it's got some time behind it. There's a lot of um, time for it to expand and grow and, and, and get popular. Uh, the nice part about it is there's no license required. So you can just grab the radio. You can start using it on those frequencies. No license required in Canada. Uh, Transceiver requires uh, Industry Canada certification number, however. So if you start looking at the US and you and you buy some equipment there, it may not necessarily be certified by Industry Canada. If it doesn't have that IC number on it, then you can't actually use it in Canada. And you're gonna see that across all the radio apparatus uh, 
for the different types of communications that, uh, that you may be talking about. Uh, it's a fairly standard requirement until you get into um, advanced TAM operations and building your own stuff. Uh, but for the most part, you're going to have to have that Industry Canada certification number. Uh, you can operate at 12 watts uh, peak envelope power for single sideband. So that's a decent amount of power. It's nothing crazy, but um, it's enough to get you out there. Uh, and we'll touch on distances and because I know everybody's going to be itching to hear how far can I talk? We're going to get there. Uh, we're going to do some background first here. Uh, you can do four watts uh, carrier power for, for other types of emissions. So you're not doing single sideband, then you can put out four watts. Uh, channel nine, if, uh, if you are going to be operating CB, is reserved for emergency communication. So just keep that in mind. If you do have a CB radio, channel nine is reserved for emergencies. Uh, but there are up to 40 channels. Uh, so they can, they're assigned between 26.965 megahertz to 27.405. So if you're getting into the CB world, again, not the same as ham or amateur radio, but if you're looking to build some comfort, you don't want to tackle the uh, requirements to get a ham license that might be somewhere to start to kind of get comfortable with communicating and talking on a radio uh, because you, you will get those first mic jitters for sure. As soon as you hit the push to talk button, it it's intimidating for the first uh, the first little bit. So um, might be somewhere to start if you don't want to. Like I said, you don't want to shell out the the hundred bucks or so to do the course, and you don't want to go and take an exam right away. CB is a good good spot to start. Uh, family band. So this is another one that people think you might be talking about. And when we're talking family band, you're talking those radios you can buy at Canadian Tire or uh, at your other favorite stores like that. Um, they're the ones that would be packaged by like Uniden or Motorola. They claim to have like 80 kilometer distance that they can travel for communications. Uh, that's just a blatant lie, but um, we'll, we'll get into that later. Uh, that's in like optimal best settings. You know, you're at the top of the hill. The person you're talking to is at the bottom of the hill. There's no obstructions and it's just like the most optimal of, of setup. Uh, small, we'll get small, into one like this. small one like this that uh, I got from Motorola. Got it in a three pack. Was used. Paid thirty bucks for three of them. Yeah, like they're they're, they're, they're great. great. They're local little little stuff, but like you say, there's no real distance to them. No, but they they're great for small distance communications. Like if you're going out for a like a, a hunting group, or you're going out for a hike, or you're going to be within you know half kilometer or so of each other. They're great. Uh, and they have their use. Like I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you just don't get them, don't use them. They every t every piece of radio communications equipment has its use, and it has uh, an applicable use and preparedness as well. So don't rule out CB and don't rule out family band as something you're just not ever going to use because you very well might. Uh, you'll you'll get all kinds of different people telling you don't don't do this, don't do that. Ham is the only thing. It all depends on your setup and how you think you're going to utilize these devices because they all like I said they all have use. Uh, for family band, it, it operates on uh, UHF, uh, and there's a total of 22 channels. Now, here's where things get a little bit um, interesting. If you start looking into the power requirements for family band, you're going to find a lot of rules for the U.S. In Canada, the maximum power cannot exceed 0.5 watts on channels 8 to 14. Any other channel outside of 8 to 14, you can operate up to 2 watts. So that's uh, right from Industry Canada. Uh, I've went through and, and found the regulations. So that's uh, that's where that's quoted out of, um, at least as of today, March uh, March twenty first, twenty twenty one. That's what the rules are. Tomorrow, the government can decide to change that. So who knows? But uh, for now, that's what it is: 0.5 watts channels eight to fourteen, two watts for other channels. 
So let's touch on amateur and ham radio, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of the evening tonight. So get ready, get your pocket protectors out. We're going to have some fun here. We're going to nerd out, and that's just the way it's going to go. So I'm excited. I might put a few people to sleep, but that's okay. So ham radio, multiple types of transmission. That's where the fun begins, because you're going to start scrapping with everybody over what's the best one. And they're all interesting. They all have their ups. They all have their downs. Uh, you can get into just straight audio communication, which is literally find a frequency, push the push to talk button, call out and talk to people, just like I'm doing now over a microphone with my, my voice, audio transmission. Uh, you can do Morse code if you want to write your Morse code, which, by the way, if you're biting your nails thinking I need to know Morse code, that was abolished uh, a couple of years ago. Now. I think it was at least five years ago. Um, you don't need to do the Morse code. Uh, examination to get your license anymore. So it used to be you had to be able to transmit at five words per minute to get your ham license. Uh, no longer required. You can still do it if you'd like, but um, and it is still used uh, quite uh, quite frequently on the on the HF channels. Uh, but it's not required to get your license. Um, other types of communications. There's a DMR, which is a digital type of communication. There's a packet, there's digital, there's, there's all kinds of things that you can dive into and you can use. Some need more power than others, some need less. Um, it's just a matter of what you want to get into. And as soon as you think that you've kind of reached a comfort level in something, you're going to want to move to something else and explore that and, and have fun with it as well. There, there's all kinds of different things and there's different ones coming out as well. Uh, but it's, uh, there, there's all kinds of different ways to communicate. It's not just audio. You can get into, um, uh, SSTV transmissions as well. So you can actually send data over the airwaves. You can send pictures. Uh, you can send shortwave television. Um, so it's it's kind of neat to get into that kind of stuff. And it's still around. It does still happen. Um, it's just a matter of finding people that are using that type of uh, transmission method to, uh, to talk to them and be able to send them information back and forth. Um, you're going to get much further transmission distances and wider frequency range over CB and family band. So you can get a, a long distance and I'm going to get into exactly how much distance you can get or, or roughly I'm not going to be able to sit here and tell you you can get exactly this but I'll give you some averages later on uh, but your, your distance is going to be expanded significantly over CB and family band uh, if you start getting into the HF world um, you're opening up the possibility of worldwide communication and there's there's a lot that decides whether or not your signal is going to get to certain places but with HF, you can certainly um, get to some really neat places. Um, for example, myself um, here in, in central Ontario, I've been able to make contact with stations in Italy with simply a, a wire and, a, and 100 watts. Was it pretty? No, uh, it was. It was. Uh, it was not uh, the clearest in the world, but I could still be heard and I could still make out what I was uh, what I was saying. They could make it out on their end, and I could hear them on on this end. So that was neat. Uh, the other thing. Uh, with amateur radio or ham radio, and I'll, I'll use the terms interchangeably as we go tonight, and people use it interchangeably as well in in the um, in the hobby. Uh, more power, you're going to be able to push more power than uh, you're going to do with CB, and and definitely with family band. Uh, you're going to be starting out with, uh, for example, handheld units. Those are going to range from five to eight watts. So at that point. CB is going to have more pushing it at around that 12 watt level. Uh, now, keep in mind, I know I'm going to have a bunch of people ask about the Baofeng radios. Uh, they will advertise 18 watts, 20 watts, 50 watts. I think I've seen one advertise at 50 watts. 
they're lying. It's uh, I've I've grabbed a couple of them that uh, that have stickers on them that say 1520 watts. Uh, I've put them on my meter, on my power meter here, and tested them. They're pushing for. Um, they just pump it up for advertisement to make it look good, uh, and that's not a that's not a, a slam on Baofeng at all. Or, or you know, I'll have a couple of people jump down my throat about the pronunciation of that, but um, that's how I choose to pronounce it. And um, I, I could be wrong. I don't know, but they uh, they are great little radios to start out with. Uh, but just be careful if uh, if you you see an advertisement for like a twenty watt one, it's going to be pushing four or five watts. The eight watt ones will push about seven and a half. Um, so those are good, but uh, just keep that in mind. Uh, your next stop is mobile units. So those are going to be like your your UHF, VHF, so ultra high high fidelity, and um, I'm drawing a blank for VHF now, but <laughs> uh, very high, very so, high frequency, yeah, very high frequency. So uh, yeah, so ultra high frequency and very high frequency. Uh, so your mobile units, you're going to be looking at about 25 to 50 watts. Which is decent. You're going to get some good distance off of those, um, and then when you start getting into your HF rigs, uh, and you can get up to 90 watts on on some of the the mobile units as well. It just depends on the the unit you're looking for, uh, or the unit that you're looking at. Uh, but most of them are going to be between that 25 to 50 watt range. Uh, HF rigs, you're going to be typically starting at 100 watts. So uh, my HF rig that I have here, my my Kenwood uh, rig here, it starts, it pushes 100 watts. What you can do with that is you can boost that with an amplifier. So you can boost it to 560 watts if you're running a, a basic uh, license, and you can boost to 2,250 watts if you have an advanced, and that's on single sideband. So there's some rules and regulations about uh, different types of transmission modes, uh, the amount of power you're allowed to use. Um, so that's just on single sideband. Um, so again, refer to the regulations before you start transmitting. Uh, don't say, you know, Eric on the Canadian Prepper podcast said I could push 2,250 watts. So that's just what I'm going to do. Um, always, always refer to the regulation and, and make sure that you know exactly what you can push because it's, uh, it's widely thought that these things are not enforced and nobody's out there watching, but they are actually enforced and watched. So just keep that in mind. I don't want to see anybody get their wrist slapped or, or end up with a fine for, for something. And all the regulations are posted, so you can find them. So the big question why ham radio in preparedness? So the nice part about ham radio is you literally need your transceiver, a power source and a wire. And away you go. All of a sudden you've opened up the possibility to worldwide communication. Is it going to be pretty? Probably not, but it's there. And it literally took the power source, the transceiver and a wire antenna. Uh, even if, you're not opening up to worldwide communication with that setup. You're going to be getting some significant distance. Uh, and hopefully somebody's out there to hear you and it's not zombies. Because that would be bad. Um, ham transceivers can also typically pick up more than just ham. So it's kind of a one-stop shop for a few things. Uh, weather repeaters for one. So if uh, if you do happen to have one of those Baofeng, uh, like the UV5Rs, you'll know that they can pick up weather repeaters. So that's the uh, the repeaters that are operated by the Canadian government. Um, they are across North America, so you can get them in the U.S. as well. And they're going to repeat uh, different information about weather in your area and significant incidents. So if there's a big 
uh, weather storm coming through, it's going to alert you to that. If it's just general weather, it's going to report just a general weather for a while. Uh, but that's handy to have. So if you can get that in a little handheld radio you carry with you everywhere, then you have that available to you. And it's local to the area that you're in. Um, emergency services. So, and that's only in some areas. So it completely depends on where you are. Uh, if you're in like a city urban area, chances are your emergency service is going to be operating on uh, some form of an encrypted channel. So you're not going to be able to pick it up with ham uh, or with one of your ham radios. If you're in a more rural area or an area where emergency services are operating on an unencrypted frequency, uh, you may be able to pick them up. But check your local regulations because if that radio can pick that up, you might be going against some rules there. So just keep that in mind and make sure that if you are going to do that, that you cannot transmit on that emergency service frequency. Because if you accidentally hit the push to talk button, um, you're cutting off that emergency service from being able to talk to their dispatcher or to talk to each other and uh, you're breaking a criminal law there as well. You're not, uh, you can't transmit on those frequencies. So um, just be very, very cognizant of that. But it is handy to be able to hear what's going on around you. Uh, commercial FM radio stations. So again, you can pick up just your standard radio stations that are in your area, which is handy. Uh, if you've got your, your little Baofeng handheld or, or what have you out on, say, I don't know, the boat, and you want to listen to the radio, you can throw the radio on. Um, so that's that's handy to have. I can also pick it up on uh, my HF rig here. So if I'm I'm in the computer room here or the shack, as ham operators will call it, um, I can pick up FM transmissions and just put some tunes on if I want. Um, or I could use my computer with the internet. The choice is is your is yours. So, but it's uh, it's good to know that that that's a possibility. Let's see. And the one fun thing that I realized is operating on uh, on ham or, or amateur radio chances are you're among friends there are a lot of um, same-minded people uh, on amateur ham radio uh, there's a lot of people that have the preparedness mindset that also happen to like radio so if you get chatting with people you're going to find a lot of them have the same kind of mindset that, that the rest of us do where they want to be prepared they want to have um, you know stockpile of, of items in case uh shit hits the fan uh, so that, that was kind of a, a nice bonus to uh to getting into ham radio i didn't realize that but i guess it kind of makes sense because it's an alternate form of communication as well um, modifications for ham so if you if you hop on youtube you can modify some ham radios uh, to transmit on uh, on family band and on cb um, your little Baofeng radios, for example, um, if you got them before uh, Industry Canada banned the sale of the unlocked version of the Baofeng, can actually transmit on family band. However, it's going to be transmitting most likely over power. So you can you can take it down to one watt. So those certain channels, you're still good um, power-wise. But remember previously when I talked about the Industry Canada certification number that needs to be on the devices, that applies to family band radios as well. So... That's where you kind of get screwed with the Baofengs. They don't have that Industry Canada, or at least the ones that were unlocked. Um, there's a new Canadian version that does have an Industry Canada number on it. Now it's the UV5RIC for Industry Canada. Uh, but the older ones that only have the FCC number on it are, are good for the States. But within Canada, they actually are not supposed to be used on 
uh, on Family Band at all. But I know it's a popular thing in the preparedness world to still use them, but just a heads up. Um, so yeah, modifications are possible, which is always fun. So let's get into the cost. So this is always the fun part. So we, we kind of alluded to this uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, ham radio, hands down, more expensive. You're going to go down a, a huge rabbit hole, uh, depending on how far down that rabbit hole you want to go. And every time you turn around, there's another piece of equipment that would be neat. There's something else that would be fun to get. There's something else you want to add. Uh, an HF rig, for example, is going to run you about $1,000. And that's, you know, that's an entry-level rig. Um, if you're buying new, you're probably looking more around the, the $1,200 to $1,500 mark. Uh, but if you're looking at the used market, you can, you can usually find them between 800 to a thousand bucks. Um, and that's just for HF. If, uh, and yes, Jesse, I, I apply, but so much fun and worth it. Yes, it is very much. So, uh, UHF VHF. So your base stations, they can run up to 250 bucks. They can be they can be higher, but they're going to start around two fifty. You can you can spend as, as much as you want uh, if you want to get a really fancy uh, UHF VHF rig. You can you can spend some coin, uh, but an entry level one is going to run you about two fifty to, to three hundred bucks. Uh, power supplies because you have to power these things; they don't just run on on air. So uh, power supplies you're looking at about hundred bucks and up. Uh, you can get some cheaper ones on Amazon if you want to. You know gamble with that you, you can uh microphones your rigs are probably going to come with them but then you're going to want to upgrade them <laughs> so so you're looking at about 100 bucks there as well uh, antennas again depending on what you're looking to do in your setup you're probably looking about 100 150 bucks to start and then it climbs from there uh, coax cable don't even get me started about coax <laughs> so that's the cable that uh that connects it all up and connects your your rig or your radio to your antenna and you can spend a whole ton of money on just coax cable and you will get all kinds of opinions from everybody and their mother about what kind of coax cable you should use uh, but it's uh, it can cost you some money but that's going to be your your main connection between your rig and your and your actual and your antenna so uh, you want to you know, you don't want to cheap out on that. Uh, FRS, so the family band, like Jeff said, you're looking, you know, his pack of 30 there was what, what did you say, Jeff, 30 bucks? Yep, yep. I mean, they were used, yeah. but they were, uh, yep, three pack, batteries, chargers, everything, 30 bucks. Yeah, so there you go. You can you can get them for about 30 bucks for a pack of three. Uh, I said you're, you're, you know, you're looking at maybe 50 to 100 bucks, depending on how many you want. If you're going to get some, I don't know, some spare batteries because you're a prepper might be a good idea. So yeah, I, I would look at, you know, 50 bucks to a hundred, then you've got uh, enough radios for whatever it is you're, you're looking to do. Uh, CB, you know, you're looking at about a hundred bucks plus minus, um, you know, install costs. If you're going to be installing it in your vehicle, if you want to have somebody else do it, uh, you're going to need some antennas as well for CB um, family band. Usually those are fixed. They're not supposed to be removable on, on family band radios. Um, that's another reason why the Baofeng just doesn't cut it for, for family band in Canada. But if you want to use it on there, well, that's your choice. So 
how to get licensed and why should I bother? So let's touch on the basic types of qualifications in Canada first. So the first qualification is your basic. And this is another point where people will start to get confused with their research because they'll start looking into ham radio certifications and you're going to get bombarded with uh, American certification information and exam prep and books and all that. They operate, I think it's three different tiers of certification. Canada operates two. So the first in Canada is the basic qualification. It's a 100 question exam. A passing mark is 70%. If you want to get basic with honors, then you have to get 80% or higher. So what does that get you? If you get your basic, it's access to all amateur bands above 30 megahertz. So anything below 30 megahertz is your HF uh, frequencies. Uh, you can use a maximum of 250 watts DC transmit uh, transmitter input power. You can build and operate all station equipment except for homemade transmitters. So you can't make your own. But if you buy commercial, you can assemble it. But it has to be commercially made kits. Um, reprogramming of radio equipment to operate in the amateur bands, if it can be done by a computer program. So plugging in your little Baofeng handheld, for example, and programming it with Chirp, totally fine as a basic operator. Uh, but you can't make any physical modifications to the circuitry of the radio. So you can't open it up and change it around and, and redo any of the connectors or anything on the on the circuit board. Um, you can operate uh, cross-band repeaters. So I know a couple of the guys in this area have some cross-band repeaters. So when they go out and they're walking the dog, um, they can take their handheld with them and they can still use their cross-band repeater, which just allows them to talk back to their base station at home, which would then transmit to the repeater frequency in the area because their handheld isn't powerful enough to reach the repeater in the area, but their home station is. So they talk to the home station and then the home station talks to the repeater. So a couple of the guys in the area use that. Uh, operation through a repeater established by an amateur with an advanced qualifications. So if there's a repeater in your area and you have a basic license, then you're able to operate that on that repeater. Uh, no remote control of fixed stations is permitted. So uh, it doesn't matter the medium used for the control. So you, you can't remotely control um, a radio with a basic license, which, well, takes out some of the fun, but really I like to be in front of the radio myself. So now if you get your basic with honors, so you score 80% or above, what that does is that allows you access to the amateur bands below 30 megahertz. So that opens up HF for you. So if you're going to do your exam, shoot for 80, uh, because you don't want to have to go and write the advanced exam just to get access to HF. And HF, again, like I said at the beginning, HF is what allows you access to worldwide type of communications. So the second type of certification in Canada is the advanced certification. So again, we get the basic and the advanced, only two certifications in Canada for ham radio. So the advanced is 50 question exam. It's a 70% pass mark. Uh, you get access to all the amateur bands below 30 megahertz, um, which is the same that you would get with the basic with honors certification. 
you can use a maximum transmit power of a thousand watts DC input. And here's where the fun begins, at least for some people. Uh, you can build and operate transmitting equipment. So that might be uh, of interest to certain people in the preparedness community who want to be able to build their own transmitting equipment uh, for reasons and be able to test it out in a non-shit-hit-the-fan -shit situation for if something does happen down the road, then you know that equipment works. So an advanced operator can build and operate their own transmitting equipment. Uh, they can also modify radio apparatus by computer program or physical modifications to the circuitry. So now you can pull that radio apart. You can play with the circuitry inside of it, rewire it if you want, rejig it, um, make some changes to it. Uh, and that's okay under your current license if you have an advanced license. Uh, you can establish repeaters and club stations. So if you're a volunteer with, uh, with a local club, you can take on the role of uh, keeping that repeater, maintaining it, operating it, and making sure that it's uh, in good working order. And you're also allowed to remote control of fixed stations, including the use of radio links. So it opens up a few other options for you. Um, if you haven't seen a radio certification before, this is what they look like if it'll come up on the screen. So that's mine. So they will send you a larger copy. This is a wallet copy. So I keep this in my vehicle. And that way, because uh, there's some exemptions under the Highway Traffic Act in Ontario for operating uh, ham radio while operating a vehicle. Um, so that way, if I get pulled over, I can supply my certification, talk about the section uh, in the, the regulations that allows uh, ham radio operators to operate radio equipment while operating a vehicle and uh, hopefully avoid a ticket. Haven't had to test it yet, but we'll see. Uh, but that's what the certification looks like when uh, when it's all said and done. And they actually are very quick at getting them out. Uh, when I got my basic, I had certification in my hand within a week. And when I got my advanced, and that was during the pandemic, I just wrote my advanced in, uh, in November. I actually got the certification on the 18th of November, uh, 2020. And it was in my mailbox within a week as well. So uh, if you're itching to get a piece of paper on your wall, well, it comes quick. Uh, so where can you write that exam? Uh, Industry Canada, uh, or now known as Innovation Science and Economic Development Canada Overseas Licensing. Um, Coax Publications has a great self-study book. There is a ton of information in there that you will not need to know for the exam, but it is still good things to know. So check that out. They have a lot of good um, access to things as well in the back end of their website. When you buy the book, you get access to it. So you get access to a bunch of practice tests. You get access to a bunch of study guides. Um, so it's a great, uh, great resource. And there's the book there. Jeff's got it on the screen. It's a great resource. I think they're up to their ninth edition now. I think it runs about 50 bucks for the book. And any course that you take is most likely going to rely on that book. So that's one to, to go with. Our Radio Amateurs of Canada, or referred to as RAC, is running online courses. They've been doing that um, since the pandemic uh, in an attempt to help get people licensed without having to physically attend training, uh, which is great because when I was looking at it initially, the training was, you know, come on Tuesday, uh, every Tuesday night for the next, you know, three and a half, four months and do two hours of a course in person. And that doesn't work for a lot of people uh, who work shifts, right, or have you know, kids or have obligations in the evening or have things going on where they can't dedicate, you know, the next three or four months to every Tuesday at 9 p.m. I have to be at this place until 11. It just doesn't doesn't work out. 
So the online courses are quite uh, quite handy. Um, I've done the advanced with Rack. I know Jeff is in the process of doing the basic. And the nice part is, is if you miss a course, they email out the video, which is nice. So you can catch up. So you don't have to be at every single class. Uh, Rapid Survival, I'm starting to put one together myself. Don't hold your breath. It takes a long time to put an online course together. Um, so I've got uh, I've got an episode or so recorded, ready to go. But um, I want to clean it up a bit and make it... Uh, I'm still learning how to get it 100% uh, the way I want it before I start releasing it. But uh, I will be releasing a course, uh, hopefully in the near future. Uh, and then your local ham radio clubs. They will offer, uh, hopefully, per- in-person training again after COVID. So once that is all set and done and, and out of our lives should be able to train in person again with your local ham radio club. So the why, everybody always asks this, why should I get my license? I'm just going to transmit when, uh, you know, the zombies are coming. I'm just going to grab my, uh, my, my little uh, amateur radio and I'm just going to transmit and do my thing. And I'm just not going to pay the hundred bucks and get licensed because there's no need to. Uh, do you know how to program your radio currently for the local repeater? Do you know what an offset is? Do you know how to find the frequency for your local repeater? Do you know what tone to set for that repeater? These are all reasons why you want to get licensed now to understand how things operate, understand how to access the resources around you for radio. And then I think we've, I think we've beat this to death uh, (laughs) on the last 109 episodes, but uh, just knowing how to use your equipment. That's what it boils down to being able to just say, yeah, I'm just going to do this talk on the radio and then, It'll be fine if uh, if I'm in a in a shit hit the fan situation. It's not going to fly. You're going to want to have your stuff set up ready. You're going to want to know how to do all of this because if you don't know how to set the offset for your local repeater or you don't know how to set the local uh, tone that let you access to that repeater, you're certainly not going to be able to do that in a uh, in a pinch. Uh, so let's touch on what you need to get set up. I don't think we've gone into that in depth in in past episodes. So first and foremost, basic soldering skills. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. You just have to be able to flow solder, um, not be afraid to try. You're going to mess up. Simple as that. You're going to make mistakes doing this. Uh, If you're going to buy cable ends and run your own cable, buy extra ends because it's just the way it is. (laughs) So they're not expensive. They're a couple bucks an end. Buy three or four extras uh, because it's just going to happen. You're going to screw that solder point up. You're going to screw something. You're going to screw up the connector. It happens. It's all part of learning. So buy a few extra ends, but get some basic soldering skills. YouTube is great for that. There's a lot of ham radio um, explanations as to how to solder different parts and components for for ham. Uh, Worth the time to check out. Uh, So uh, a handheld. You know, it's it's uh you're gonna want to get one of those. Uh, it's all in one solution. You know, you're you're probably gonna want some extra batteries because again, you're a prepper. So, the handheld with uh, with a few extra batteries, that's gonna get you started. That's where a lot of people start out. Grab that Baofeng. Grab a, a Yesu. Grab a TYT. It doesn't matter what it is, uh, but a basic handheld radio is a, a solid spot to start, and it's not gonna break the bank. Uh, once you grab that, like for example, I started out with a little Baofeng uh, UV5R, learned how to program it, which can be challenging, uh, but it's well documented, right? So learn how to program that and then went from there. 
after you're comfortable with your little um, handheld radio, then it's time to start moving up to something else. So base stations. First thing you're going to want to look at is you know, which station to get. And there's all kinds of different options as far as what type. And you know, there's all kinds of makes and models and different types of, of radio base station. Um, and I'll touch on what my setup is later on. Uh, but do some research and find one that's going to work for you. Um, antennas. Don't cheap out on these. That is the way that you receive communications. That's the way you send communications. So if you buy a cheap little $10 antenna from Alibaba or whatever website you want to buy your $10 antenna from, you're not going to get a lot out of it. Is it going to work? Yeah, of course it's going to work. But antennas are just not something to cheap out on. Uh, cabling. So And, and yep. just, just on the antenna thing, Eric, that we kind of Go covered in our, in our training there was know what kind of antenna you want. Do you want a dipole? Do you want a Yagi? You know, those, what, what frequency do you think you're going to use, where your setup is to determine the type of antenna that will best suit your needs because they're not, it's not just a simple case of stick the antenna in the air and you're good to go. So. hundred percent. Yeah. And antennas are magic because I don't think anybody fully a hundred percent understands how they operate. People will tell you they know. But you can set an antenna up one way and get absolutely nothing. And that's the exact way the manufacturer says to do it. And then you can take it and you can move it by half a centimeter and you're talking to the world. It's It can be frustrating at times, but that's half the fun of ham is yelling and screaming at things that are not working, moving them half a centimeter and suddenly they work. So don't um, don't think you're going to set your antenna up and it's just going to work first, uh, first hop. You're going to be playing around and moving stuff all the time and you're going to break it. You're going to make things not work and you're going to learn how to make them work again. Uh, but the main thing is don't cheap out on that antenna. Um, if you want to get something cheap to begin with, to get some experience with, of course, that makes sense. But once you're actually comfortable and you want to set your rig up and this is going to be your, your system for a while, don't cheap out on it. Cabling. And everybody calm down now. Any experienced ham operator that's listening to this, I'm going to list some types of coax. If I don't list the one you use, don't punch me. <laughs> this is always a bone of contention with people. Um, everybody thinks that their type of coax is the best. Um, it's going to boil down to your setup and what you want to operate. There's all kinds of different. There's LMR 400, there's RG58, there's RG8X. You name it, there's all kinds of different coax, and it depends on how much loss you're willing to have in the transmission, how much distance you need to run the cable, um, what type of transmissions you're looking to make. Um, and I'll touch on the type of cabling that I chose to go with in my setup uh, later on when I talk about my setup. Uh, power source. Again, don't fight me. <laughs> um, it, it all depends on on your setup and your, your budget too, but you're, you're going to want um, a power source that is a 13.8 volts DC is what most of your, your ham radio equipment is going to run on. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's always a bone of contention as to what make brand is, is the best, but just do some research and, and figure out which, uh, which is best for you. Uh, I'm going to, there's uh actually, we'll put a link in the show notes as well. Uh, Maple Leaf Communications, which is a uh, company in Canada here, actually in Ontario, 
Uh, they have a calculator on their website, and that's what I used in conjunction to talking to the owner for choosing the type of cabling that I was going to go with for my setup. Uh, but you can actually go in, you can punch in the length of cable that you need to run to your antennas, uh, the type of cable, and it'll tell you all the different bits and pieces about uh, what you're going to lose, how your transmission is going to work, and you can make a bit of an educated uh, decision from there. And apologies to everybody in the live chat. I can I can see there's some messages there. I'll get to you in uh, in a minute once I get a chance to read them. Uh, grounding again, <laughs> bone of contention. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of information on grounding, um, electrical code. Uh, so the ESA does actually require that uh, your amateur radio stations and antennas be grounded. Um, so I actually had a, a, an electrician friend of mine pull the code up for me and find the sections. Um, it has to be grounded by code. So. Uh, try to find an electrical friend if you can or talk to ham radio group uh, members or, or club members uh, about what would work best in your setup because every setup is unique uh, but you do need to have some form of grounding uh, for safety you don't want uh, you don't want to zap yourself and you need some kind of lightning suppression because you don't want to fry your equipment if you do uh, if you do take on a, a lightning strike and we talked about that in our uh, course actually today and it they talked about grounding and uh, said out, outside of the equipment, that is the most important thing because if you don't ground it properly, chances are your 15 or 18 or $2,000 receiver will become a pile of melted scrap metal if uh, you don't ground it properly and you get some sort of a back feed, uh, a lightning strike, a power surge, whatever. So uh, grounding is one of the more important things that he was talking about. Yeah, 100% it is. You, you can get all kinds of nasty stuff from uh, if you don't have your your equipment grounded correctly. Uh, so that's something you want to take some time with and, and plan properly. Uh, there is one comment here in the live chat uh, just talking about joining, joining a ham community. So absolutely, I think we've pushed that in our last couple of ham episodes. Reach out to your local ham club because you're going to be able to uh, test your equipment. You're going to be able to get advice and tips on how to use your kit. Uh, that's a great comment. I uh, appreciate that. And, and yeah, 100%. Uh, when I got involved with the, the ham radio club here in town, I had a whole bunch of people offering help. You know, I, I bought an HF rig and one of the uh, the operators here said, well, bring it on over. We can test it, make sure it operates properly. Because I didn't have any antennas set up yet. You know, they're, they're, everybody is very, usually very welcoming. You're, you're going to get the odd jerk on the air that thinks they're better than everybody else and you should go away because you're new. You're going to get that. But for the most part, your local operators are friendly and welcoming and they want to see the hobby continue. So, of course, they want to help you carry on and and get set up and and the the club here has been very uh very welcoming and, and very uh very helpful and, and full of all kinds of advice so uh so the question everybody has been waiting for what range can i get and this is usually where everybody starts how far can i communicate what range can i get i want you to tell me exactly how many kilometers i can transmit for because i need to get comms to wherever uh, there's all kinds of what ifs in that question that's why nobody's ever going to be able to tell you 100 percent you can get 50 kilometers with this or you can get 100 kilometers with this um, size and quality of your antenna is going to be one um, how high the antenna is off the ground relative to the horizon that's another one uh, what kind of terrain or structures are in the way 
urban versus rural, uh, wavelength and frequency, uh, transmission power plays a factor, uh, weather, including things that you can't even see, like atmospheric layers and solar flares. Uh, and of course, Murphy's Law. That's always going to play a part as well. And there's even, uh, we talked about it, the time of day where you are or where the person you're trying to communicate with is because there's, um, there's different layers in the atmosphere, but at night, one of those layers disappears yep. and then it comes back during the day. Well, if you're trying to transmit at night and that area isn't there, but it is where the other person's transmitting your, it's not going to work. And it's, uh, and I mean, it, as everybody I'm sure knows, your signals can bounce off of anything. Our, our instructor was telling us, uh, they inadvertently, uh, the way they had their tower, uh, antenna set up and everything, um, it only happened for a few seconds because of the speed that it moves, but they actually bounced a signal off of the, um, the, the space uh, station mm -hmm. up in, up in space. But it was only for a few seconds, of course, because it moves so fast, but they bounced it off the space station. Yep, that's totally a, a possibility. You'll actually see they do um, they do have a ham station on the International Space Station, and they'll do a lot of communications with uh, like public schools and such that they can when they're flying overhead. And you can contact them if the timing is 100% right. Um, you can actually make uh, contact with the ISS, which is kind of neat. Um, but let's touch on some average ranges. And again, this is not guaranteed. Please don't email me in a week and say I tried it and you lied to me. This is just some <laughs> average kind of in optimal settings distances that you're going to get. Uh, so ha handheld radios, ha or handheld ham radios. So that's your Bayo Fangs, your little TYT handhelds. You're looking at maybe three kilometers, plus or minus. Uh, but that'll be you know with your little five to eight watt handheld. Uh, with a CB, if you have the, the handheld CB, you're looking at maybe about a kilometer and a half. Uh, and then family band, you're looking at about a half kilometer. And this is, this is obviously, this is between radios. This isn't using a repeater to then rebroadcast your signal. Um, this is just like a radio, the radio or radio to repeater. Um, you're looking at about those distances for handhelds. And like you say, be very careful of the advertising because these little family band radio ones I had, the uh, brochure right in there said, good for up to five kilometers. Yep. No, 0.5. <laughs> yeah, again, that that advertisement is based on you're at the top of a giant hill, the receiving person's at the bottom of the hill, and the atmospheric conditions and everything else is absolutely optimal. And Murphy's Law has decided to check out for about 20 seconds while you do that transmission. So it's, yeah, don't don't believe the advertisements. Uh, so average range between base stations, and this is another kind of popular question where people will say, you know, I've, I've got uh, a setup at home and I want to be able to make contact with uh, a friend or family member elsewhere. Uh, and this is with, uh, yes, Scott's got a good point in the live chat there in a vacuum. Absolutely. That's where those tests are done. Uh, so average ranges between, uh, base stations. And again, this is not with a repeating station in between them. Uh, ham radio, you can probably hit about 30 kilometers, plus or minus. Um, CB, roughly 20, 22 kilometers. Uh, FRS, no base stations for FRS, so you're not getting anything there. Uh, and again, these are all kind of optimal settings, dependent on your operating area, but there's some 
some basics for you. And when I'm talking ham, uh, I'm talking like the UHF, VHF uh, frequencies. That's not uh, that's not HF. So let's get into the fun stuff. This is a, a question that uh, everybody has kind of asked us to, to list out is what gear do you have? So I started, like I mentioned earlier, with the Beofang uh, UV5R, little five watt, uh, a little five watt, and I had the eight watt as well, a little handheld radio. Uh, I moved up later on after I got my license to this guy here, this little TYT. So it will do DMR as well, which is just digital because there's some digital. Uh, oh, look at that. Jeff's got one as well. Wonder where he got that from. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody charged me too much for it. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I moved up to the little TYT. Uh, so I've got a TYT MD380 and I have a 390. Uh, and those allow me to do analog and digital communications. So I can still do my two meter, 70 centimeter. Uh, and then I can do DMR as well because there are some emergency services in this area that operate on DMR. And that also allows me to access, there's a DMR repeater in this area which opens up uh, communication and it's, again, for the ham purists out there, it's it's cheating, but it, it uses the internet to send the signal off to a repeater elsewhere. So you can chat worldwide with that. Uh, I also have a little repeater set up here, uh, a little hotspot that does DMR as well, which allows me to, to chat worldwide. Uh, you can do regional chat as well on it, but it's all internet-based. Um, radio sends a signal into the internet, and then it goes and it comes back out. Um, so, yeah, if the internet goes down, it doesn't work. But it's fun to play with. It's fun to goof around with. Uh, as far as my vehicle, I run a TYT TH9800. And that is a clone of the Yaesu uh, 8900. Um, so I run that in my vehicle and I run that here in my uh, radio shack as well. So I, I chose that radio specifically because it has the detachable uh, head. So I can put the, the radio wherever I want. So on my setup here, I've got the radio actually mounted up on the shelf here. And then I have the radio head mounted just down here beside me. Um, I'd show you, but I can't move the camera. Um, so it's right there so it's within arm's reach but the radio is up a little bit higher uh, it made it easier to run the coax cable and then I could have the radio located and mounted elsewhere uh, uh, for my HF rig I'm running a Kenwood 590S and the reason why I chose that radio is I knew the Kenwood name uh, I knew that it had a good reputation as being a solid radio and I found it for a good price so I got it for 800 bucks. Uh, it was um, used by an operator who was only an HF um, scanner. So he wasn't transmitting at all. So all he would do is turn the radio on, scan around, listen to the frequencies, and, and that was it. So I knew that it was going to be in relatively good shape. Uh, jumped on it, got it, and thankfully it was in pristine condition. And I figured it's, it's going to do me well for, for years to come. So uh, as far as the coax cable that I'm running, uh, I chose to go with the LMR 400 coax for my uh, HF and my, uh, my VHF UHF rig. I chose that just based on the calculations on the, um, the Maple Communications calculator. I, I knew I was going to be doing this run. It was going to be a permanent kind of setup for me. Um, I had mapped it all out. I had played around with other equipment. I knew this was going to be my my permanent setup for for the time that for a significant period of time. Uh, 
LMR 400 has low loss in transmission. So if I want to scale up with an amplifier down the road or get some better equipment or do anything else, uh, then I can do that. And I don't have to worry about changing the coax again. So I spent a little bit extra, got the LMR and I was happy with it. And uh, it's, it's done me well. Uh, I'm running an N-Fed antenna, which has been okay. I'm not overly happy with it, but it was a good entry-level antenna to get me started. Uh, N-Fed is simply, it's a box, and the cable runs out of the box, and that's it. So it's just a length of cable coming from the, the box, and then it goes to the... It works some magic. Nobody fully understands N-Fed antennas. <laughs> it's a magic little device. Uh, but it connects to the coax and then gets me signal. So I've been able to get into some frequencies here and there on HF and, and get some contacts. I've been, like I said, I, I got to Italy once that was fun. Um, I am planning on up, upgrading to a, a dipole, which is simply a uh, wire that goes, you know, 50 feet in this direction and 50 feet in that direction. Um, and it's uh, horizontal. So it's a pole. There's two of them dipole. Um, so that's what I plan on doing. Uh, maybe in the summer if I get some time uh, or I might leave the NFAT up. The uh, lightning and surge protection that I have in place for both my UHF, VHF and HF rig is the Alpha Delta lightning uh, surge protectors. So I have those outside. I have a grounding rod hammered into the ground. I have a uh, copper plate on that and then I have my lightning protectors uh, mounted on there. Uh, some people are going to say that's that's the right way to do it. Some people are going to say that it's not the right way to do it. Uh, I had an electrician friend of mine come out and look at it and say, oh, looks good, and I'm not going to kill myself with electricity, so I'm happy with it. Um, but again, everybody's going to have their own ways of doing it. Uh, for my UHF VHF, I'm running a Diamond uh, X50A uh, antenna. So that is a uh, a vertical mount antenna. It's uh, about uh, 30 feet up, and then it's another what's the length of that. It's probably about 40 feet total uh, for for the, that antenna. Uh, so I get some good distance on it. It's got a good view of, of the surrounding area. Uh, I'm running a Kenwood KPS 15 power supply for my HF rig. Um, it's the one that was recommended uh, from actually Radio World. Uh, down Toronto area for my Kenwood radio. Uh, for my UHF and VHF rigs, I am rolling the dice. I'm using that Amazon $40 power supply. I've been using it for the last three or four years without issue. Uh, knock on wood, this will be the night where it decides to give me problems, but uh, it's it's done me well. It puts out the appropriate amount of power. I've put it on my meters. I've checked it. It doesn't fluctuate or do anything funny, uh, so I've been happy with it. And then I'm running a Kenwood MC60 desk mic for my HF rig. So it's that's a basic rundown of, of my setup and, uh, and what I'm operating. Uh, as far as how did I get licensed? So for my basic, I read the Coax Publications book. And then I honestly just hammered the practice exams. Because the practice exams are actually all available on the Industry Canada website, and all the questions are public knowledge. So they, there's no tricks about it. There's no, well, we kind of sort of show you the questions, but we don't. All the questions are public knowledge, and that's for the advanced exam as well. But uh, 
keep in mind they're all published. You can get to the Industry Canada website and they will do practice exams. They'll generate a practice exam for you and you can start just doing the exam and see where you sit. And that's what I did. I just would go over. Uh, I do the exam two or three times a day and then I just kept going and going. And as I realized I was missing knowledge in certain sections, I'd go back to the COAX book, read about it, test it out, see what I needed to know, go back to the resources in the COAX website, go over those, go back to the practice exam again. Is it mind numbing? Yes, but it got me my license. So that's how I did it. And everybody's going to have their own way of doing it. Uh, for the advanced, uh, which I just did in uh, November, I did the uh, Radio Amateurs of Canada online instructor-led course. Um, I would highly recommend that course. I can't speak to the, the basic one that Jeff's on right now, but uh, the advanced one was very well done. Um, same kind of problems that Jeff talked about earlier where it, uh, you know, a couple of students had a lot of questions that uh, would have been answered if they read the reading that they were told to read before, but that's standard with any course that you take. There's always going to be those questions, and you know what? That's fine. Uh, it, at least it reiterates the information again. Uh, but the course was very, very well done, very well put together. And I like the fact that they record it and they send it to you because there were some times that I just couldn't make the class. So it's, uh, it's, it was worthwhile. Uh, Scott's got a good point in the live chat. There's also some apps which have all those questions loaded and allow you to focus on sections you choose. Uh, there is one that I used. Um, I'll grab the name here because I still have it on my phone. And yeah, while you're looking for that, uh, Eric, if, if anybody's interested in the online course, um, the one I'm taking is through Annapolis Valley uh, Radio Club out in uh, Nova Scotia. And we're, our course is almost done, and they're going to be looking at running another one starting probably mid to end of April. So if anybody's interested, look up the Annapolis Valley Radio, and uh, you'll see it on there. Al Penny's the instructor, a really good, smart guy knows his stuff um and uh it's it's i i i would highly recommend it for the 50 bucks i paid it was well worth it yeah so they uh the annapolis uh ham radio club does that uh, through the uh, radio amateurs of canada so if you check out rack rac.ca they'll have all that posted there as far as what you require so it's it was at least for Jeff's class. It was fifty bucks to register, and then it's probably about fifty bucks for the book. So you're looking at about a hundred dollar investment to take the course. Uh, so the app that I was running uh, is called Ham Prep. Uh, it's got a little Canadian flag down in the lower left hand corner of the icon. Again, keep an eye out for that if you're looking for applications on your on your cell phone to help you cram for the exams. You're going to get a lot of U.S. based. Uh, applications that are going to help you study uh, which means you can write the US based exam but if you walk into the Canadian one you're still going to have the, the, the information kind of flexes back and forth between uh, but you're going to want to look for the Canadian one because the uh, the American ones they're not going to give you the same questions so uh, just be cognizant of that um, and what's important to know for preparedness so that's another popular question is, okay, like I, I've got my license now. What do I need to know? Um, local repeaters. Uh, so, you know, all kinds of things can take those offline. Yes. But you're going to want to know what they are. I've got a little book that I carry with me in my go bag. That's got main repeaters for all different areas in Ontario. Uh, you can get applications as well for your cell phone because let's make life easy. 
you know, you don't have to have everything paper. It's nice to have paper backup, don't get me wrong. Uh, but you can get an application called Repeater Book and it'll show you based on GPS of your phone the closest repeaters in your area and it gives you all the different um, tones that you need and everything else you need to set your radio up for that specific repeater. So that's nice to have if you're traveling around. But I keep a paper copy as well in my, my go bag just in case. Um, another thing that's important to know for preparedness is how to set your rig up in a, in a rural or remote situation. And practice it while you're camping. Uh, for example, I don't think I got this guy plugged in right now. No, I don't. So that's a little HF rig. I forgot to list this one in my uh, in my list of radios. Uh, but this is a little Zygu uh, X108G. Uh, I think they're up to the G90 right now. This one I don't think is produced anymore. But it's a little handheld. It's a little portable uh, HF rig. Uh, I also have their uh, X5105, which is a little self-contained radio so it's got the the mic it's a built-in battery pack so you charge it via usb and all you got to do is plug in an antenna and then you're up and communicating so I, I find that one quite handy to take if i'm going out camping or or going out in the woods somewhere but uh, you can lug the big transceivers as well if you want but a small little compact one is totally doable but um, you want to know how to set those up you want to know how to run your antennas you want to know how to do all that now uh, because if you don't know now, if uh, if you're in a shit hit the fan situation, you're definitely not going to know. Um, we've got another comment here in the live chat in regards to Rack. Uh, they also have a program called uh, Examiner. Uh, it has question banks for basic and advanced. It's a great program. So there's a uh, there's another one for you to add to your your phone. So those are the main things to know for for the preparedness is your local repeaters, uh, how to set your equipment up, how to move it, how to make it mobile, how to, you know, set up in a rural infra rural area if you have to. Uh, but the main thing is just, and I know we hammer this on every single episode, is knowing how to use your equipment. And that's why we always say it's best to get licensed because then you have the knowledge of how to use the equipment and you get the practice of using it in a non-stressful situation you get comfortable with that transmission you get comfortable with talking to people and you make some good contacts i've been i've been quite happy with the the amount of people that i've met just with the local ham radio club uh, not even really knowing that uh, ham radio clubs were a thing i just kind of started in with the repeaters and then all of a sudden I started talking to the members of the club and getting involved with that. And all of a sudden now I'm possibly maintaining a repeater system. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that way. Um, we've got another good comment in the, the live chat here. Uh, as far as antennas, it's worth getting an SWR meter for antenna testing and calibration. Since most of the antennas out there do not operate as advertised hundred percent. That is yeah. very useful as well. You're going to want to know, uh, that your antenna is operating the way that you want it to, because if you just set it up and you hit the press uh, the press to talk or the PTT button, if you're not getting it 100% matched up with your transceiver, you're not getting the signal out that you think you are. And we did have a couple of questions um, sent in ahead of time. Uh, so one of them was, what's the difference between ham radio and the radio I use for logging roads? Besides being able to program any frequency, is there a bigger frequency range that can be used uh, or such as aircraft? Um, so I suspect you're probably operating a, a Beofeng UV5R. Uh, those were very popular uh, 
to have them programmed for the logging roads. Uh, and then being able to also have them programmed for, for ham radio operation. And if, uh, if you were daring, uh, FRS, um, so that, that question kind of depends on the frequency range of your radio. So some ham radios, like I mentioned, are able to receive frequencies outside of ham frequency. Uh, so the, the difference between ham radio and logging roads, uh, I know out, uh, BC, I believe is where a lot of the, the logging road roads are for, for radio usage. They'll have specific radios that are only set to those specific frequencies, uh, so the, the difference is really the frequency range that that radio can receive and operate on. Um, so I hope that kind of answers the question without muddying the water too much. Uh, another question we had come in was what frequency range or specific frequencies are most likely to have like-minded individuals on the horn in the event an issue arises where ham would be the go-to form of communication? So this is an interesting question as well. So this is where knowing your local repeater system is good because if some uh, adverse weather is coming through or some kind of uh, emergency is happening, um, CanWarn, which is a, uh, a, a net that gets set up on different frequencies and normally on, on local repeaters, will take over that repeater and will start broadcasting information about what is happening and what kind of weather system is coming through. And they will run that net um, until the weather has passed or the emergency has ceased. Um, there is also, and I'll bring my screen up here, a list of frequencies that is used. Uh, and this will be for, uh, for HF. Um, so on 80 meter, you're looking at 3.675 megahertz on LSB, 40 meters, 7.135 on LSB, uh, 20 meter, 14.135 megahertz. That's USB, uh, 17 meters, 18.135 USB, 15 meters, 21.235 on USB and 10 meters, 28.235. So there's also, um, Morse code. Uh, which is listed and we'll put the, uh, the link in the show notes as well. So these are all Canadian. Uh, this is off the, uh, the rack website. So those are some frequencies that, uh, should be monitored. Um, it, it's all up to the operators, whether they want to monitor them or not. But, uh, those would be some ones that I would have in the back of my mind in case of emergency situation. Uh, another question that came in is how are you guys equipped? Uh, what radios do you have and why did you choose them? Uh, I did get the Baofeng thing, but I just don't want the cheapest Chinese radio I can find. Is it worth spending another $100 on something else, mobile versus handheld? What antennas do you have? Did you do DIY or buy your own, and how did you decide? So I think I kind of touched on that already. Um, but really, just to touch on it again, there's no harm in having that uh, Baofeng or, or cheap Chinese radio to start out because... Not everybody has the budget to go and drop a couple hundred dollars on a radio to start. You, you might just start and, and not like it. And now you're sitting there with a couple hundred dollar radio that, you know, you're just going to throw in the corner. So no harm in starting out with the, you know, the 25, 30, $40 uh, Chinese radio and then moving from there. Uh, mobile versus handheld is totally a preference thing. That's up to you and your setup. Uh, I like to use both. I like to have the handheld for if I can't get a vehicle somewhere or if I'm just 
out in the woods, I'll, I'll have the mobile with me. Um, and antennas, again, uh, like I, I mentioned uh, earlier in the, the setup I have, I have a wire antenna. I've got my vertical antenna uh, somewhere to start, but you can get all kinds of different antennas and all kinds of different setups. And that's going to depend on your local regulations as far as what allow, what you're allowed to set up, what you can um, install in your area. Uh, that's another actually good point for, for people listening. Check your local bylaws because there will be laws in regards to what type of towers you can set up, what kind of antennas you can have, um, and all that. You don't want to go through all the expense of setting up this awesome ham radio tower just to have bylaw come by and tell you that you can't uh, you can't have that tower and you got to take it all down. And we can we can talk about laws and regulations and and bash them, um, but they're there. It's going to cause you some issues if uh, if you don't follow them because uh, we're not in that shit at this fan situation yet. So. We have another question about when I get my license, I'm planning on setting up a base station at home and I'm hoping to be able to reach my cabin, which is about 70 kilometers away. Is this possible without using repeaters? So technically, yes, technically, no, <laughs> it, it depends. Uh, you're going to hear that a lot with questions in regards to ham radio. Uh, and for reasons that we touched on earlier in the show, it all depends on atmospheric settings, the height of your antenna, uh, obstacles in the way all that's going to come in the in the play with my setup uh, like i said my my antenna is about 40 feet up uh we're i'm looking at about 40 kilometers is the furthest away that i can hit uh and that's a that's a repeater in in barry so about 40k once i hit that repeater then i'm getting a lot further distance obviously uh but about 40k and that's pushing pushing about 50 watts a little bit less but that's what i can hit doesn't mean that's what you're going to get you could get that 70 kilometers that you want um, it's all going to depend on like we said setup height of the antennas murphy's law um, so try it set your stuff up and then see how far you can get uh, i think probably 70 kilometers you're, you're going to be pushing it but you might be able to do it. Uh, but like I said, I, I can hit 40 kilometers with what I have set up. So that is the quick uh, quick rundown of Ham Radio Expanded number two. That's all the info I had anyways. I was going to do a quick, uh, a quick demo so people can maybe hear what it sounds like. Because uh, that's another question that people always ask is, you know, we can talk about ham all the time. But what I will do is I'll throw my HF rig on here and we'll see... And are you able to hear that, Jeff? Oh, there's your, uh... One. So that's your UHF, VHF radio. So I'll see if, uh... Might be able to talk to Jeff here in a second. Possibly. You want me on the ham or the, uh... Yeah, throw her onto the ham if you can, and uh, maybe onto, uh... ORR if it's on your radio there. Uh, yep. You know, obviously Jeff right now is not going to be able to talk back to me, but uh, eventually he will uh, once he's licensed in a week or so. But we'll just give this a shot and we might uh, get somebody else as well. Victor Echo 3, Echo Papa November. Okay, so what you're getting there, so if you heard the Morse code, that is the, uh, the repeater putting out its call sign. So... 
it uh, nobody's used this repeater in a little bit, so it's just waking up and it has to broadcast its call sign. So we're not going to get probably anybody here, but that's how you would you would talk on a on a two meter repeater. Um, so this one is VE three ORR. You just key up and give your call sign. Victor Echo three Echo Papa November. And if you're mobile, you can say mobile. If uh, if not, you can say some people will say monitoring. Some people don't. For myself, I just throw my call sign out and I wait to see what people, uh, if anybody comes back or not. But it's uh, fairly quiet right now. Not many people on the repeater at uh, 10 o'clock at night here. But with HF, I'll turn my HF rig on. You're going to hear some static in the background. And this is on uh, this is on 40 meters. I'll flip my mic here. We should be able to get everything now. So I don't know if we're going to get much. There yeah. So there's a one station. I don't understand what they're saying. Some other language, but we'll keep going here. We'll walk through quick. There's not much, but let's go down. I know we're going to get something down here. So here is some digital, which is uh, not, not great to listen to, but it's there. But, yeah, so here, Jeff's got uh, the uh, weather repeater on there. But there you go. Here's a little, uh, if you can hear that. But there's some Morse code. And you'll hear this throughout the day. There'll be tons and tons of Morse code going. And it's all the time. You can get really far distances on very little power. So if you want to learn uh, Morse code. And you can get software packages that will decode it and tell you what it's saying. And you can send Morse code with that as well. Um, that's boring. But <laughs> cheating, I should say. Not boring, but cheating. So that's kind of an idea of what it's going to sound like when you're actually operating. Um, there's a lot of static and noise that uh, you're going to run into with HF. It's just part of part of operating. There you go. So we got a, a station here. It's transmitting, and the other the other fun part, and I'll turn this off now. The other interesting part with uh, with HF is that you can hear one station transmitting, but you may not hear that second station come back and could be a full conversation going on between those two stations, but you may only be able to hear one of them. So be prepared for that. That was a little frustrating when I first got into uh, in the HF side of things is I would hear a station calling and I'd be trying to call back to them they couldn't hear me. Um, and that's simply just the way that the, the frequency bounces, um, probably to do with the power that I'm pushing as well, because I'm only pushing 100 watts. But there will be some stations on HF that will you will hear like they are sitting right beside you in the room, and they can't hear you at all. So be prepared for that. 
a lot of operators when you're you're new to ham will start out on the two meter frequency or the two meter band uh, 70 centimeter and then branch out from there and that's exactly where i started i started two meter got used to the repeaters there got talking with people there and then a couple years later after i got comfortable operating with that i moved into hf uh, so you don't have to take everything on all in one big go you can start small, start with your little handheld, your little you know, $30, $40 handheld, and then branch out from there. Um, you don't have to buy the entire kit and caboodle right off the hop because there's no, there's no need to. You're, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to know. Um, there's a lot to get comfortable with, and it's going to take time. So uh, anything you want to add in there, Jeff? No, I um, think you, you covered... Uh well everything I've learned so far which is almost the whole the whole book so it is it is a bit daunting when you first get into it um, like Eric said and I mean I've been out of school a very very long time and they jumped right into the hard math and figuring out you know capacitors and resistors and you know how you measure it and you know is it in ohms is it in Henry's is it in uh, microfarads the whole yeah. So I, I kind of I kind of got lost there at the beginning, but as as the course went on, you you seen where those things added to this, added to that, and now you get into the end, you're going, "Yep, I get it now." You see the the link, and you're like, "Yeah, I get it now." So it's uh, it's 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 really good. I mean, you know, you were able to to just use the book and hammer the test and do whatever. There are other people, probably me, that that wouldn't have worked for me. So um, I'm more of a you know, kind of, I've got to hear it and figure it out my myself and kind of, so there's different ways for everybody. Find out what works best for you and, and run with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun hobby to get into and there's all kinds of information to know. Uh, you're never going to know all of it, but the important parts are setting the equipment up, powering it and operating it. If you can get that figured out and operating it safely. Because you can certainly, uh, especially when you start pushing some more power, you, you can get to the point of even killing yourself with it if you don't set it up properly and you're not careful with it. So knowing that stuff is important, uh, but knowing how to operate it, knowing how to set it up, and doing some you know doing some some dry runs with it out in the field. There's uh, there's all kinds of competitions and stuff that you know like field day for example, where you take your radio literally out in a field, set it up, and try to make contacts. Uh, there's all kinds of different things you can do, uh, but knowing how to operate the equipment, knowing how to, you know, take that wire antenna, get it up into a tree and start making contacts is going to be, well, A, I find it fun. Some people think it's the most boring thing ever, but I, I find it interesting that I can do that. And, um, it's going to give you that confidence in knowing that you can go out, you can get it, you can throw a wire up into a tree and you can make some contacts a couple hundred kilometers away. It's um, it's fun. It's interesting, and I think it's something that everybody should have kind of a little bit of a setup, anyways, for their communications um, in their preparedness setup. Because why not? It's uh, it it could come in very useful one day. But with that, I think uh, yeah, we're an hour twenty three minutes in. I've talked a lot. <laughs> there's there's always so much information that we can uh, we can talk about with Ham. I'm sure we will do another episode again. I'm sure there's some information that I have left out. Um, if anybody listening to this episode uh, 
still feels they need more information, um, all the panelists are very open to to helping out, uh, providing information, answering questions. Uh, please just send them in the feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, if one of us doesn't know the answer, one of us might. If not, all of us together can find an answer for you. Uh, there's all kinds of resources out there. But yeah, definitely take the time to, to maybe add this into your preps because it, it's something that, uh, you know, it's fun. You get all kinds of information out of it. And it could be uh, it could be a lifesaver down the road in in, uh, in a shit hit the fan type of situation. So I think we talked enough about ham tonight. That's the other fun part about ham operators. They like to talk. They have to talk a lot, and they will talk your ear off for hours about ham radio. So maybe we'll go for another hour and a half, Jeff. What do you think? Sure, why not? <laughs> I think we'll cut it. Here. I'm retired. So. I'm retired. I got all the time in the world. <laughs> we'll. Uh, We'll cut it off here. I think uh, we've gone over some some important parts, and we'll come back to it. I'm sure we'll circle back to this again in a year or so, or maybe six months, and talk about it again. But how about we move in to the podcast challenge? So, shockingly, it's going to have to do with uh, radio communications. So, find some form of communication gear and learn how to use it, whether that be a family band radio, whether that be a CB radio, whether that be a ham or amateur radio, or all three. Find some piece of gear, learn how to use it. Uh, upcoming events, still blank. We got nothing because COVID sucks. Uh, deal of the week, a little uh, shameless self-promotion here. Uh, Rapid Survival's got the TYT TH9800 on sale right now. Uh, I've got it listed at 370 So it's going to tell you that they're currently out of stock uh, because they're on their way. So... I've got uh, got a few coming, so if you're looking to to set up your uh, your communications and you need a need a base station, then that's the one I use. Like I said, I've got one installed in my truck, and I've got one installed here uh, sitting right beside me. So, as far as shoutouts, you got any, Jeff? Uh, the only shoutout I would have would be uh, to the uh, Annapolis Valley uh, Radio Club and uh, Al Penny for the uh, the course. Like I said, it's uh, it's really, really well done. Um, he takes the time, explains everything, um, and and like I say, you get overwhelmed at, at spots, but everything everything comes together and wraps up at the end. And um, it was uh, well worth the uh, the minimal expense and the and the minimal time. It was really well worth it. Awesome. All right, so email and iTunes reviews. Uh, we did have an email from Darius just asking for some tips on uh, on ham radio, so I got that out to you. It's all included in, in this evening's episode as well. Uh, as far as iTunes reviews, we don't have anything uh, written-wise again, so I think we had a couple extra five stars put in there, but nobody's written any, uh, any reviews since our last episode. And with that, I will bring episode number 110 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, perhaps one evening we'll do it over ham. Who knows? Uh, please help us out. Submit a review. It helps other people find us. Uh, you want to do this one, Jeff? Yeah, sure. So we record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Pepper Podcast. Click on the notifications tab. That gives you the alerts when we are going live. Awesome. All right. We've got some contact in here for uh, Alan, Hughes, Tyler, and uh, Ian. 
all who chose to not show up this evening. Sad. Sad, sad, sad. Talk about part-timers, eh? I know, right? Nah, they all actually had very valid reasons for not being here this evening, so... Uh, as far as myself, uh, please check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there on the live chat where you're buying some prepper gear. Uh, if you've got any questions, you can email me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, same goes for Jeff. If you want to get some correspondence to Jeff uh, for any questions that you may have, uh, you can send them the feedback at prepperpodcast.ca, and I will make sure that they get to him. So with that... I will uh, say thanks for joining us this evening. Hopefully didn't talk your ear off too much and everybody enjoyed the uh, the ham expanded. Uh, and until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning. <laughs>